You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Wednesday to you. We've got a couple different things to do here on the podcast. First, we're going to talk about Isaiah McKenzie signing a one-year deal to return to the Buffalo Bills. And then we're going to do a couple of segments of herd mentality. But let's start with Isaiah McKenzie, wide receiver. He returns on a one-year, $1.15 million deal with $350,000 fully guaranteed. Good value contract for Brandon Bean to get a player back in the mix that has developed a really interesting role. Came over after being released by the Denver Broncos, had some ball security issues over there. They moved on. The Bills snatched him up. And going into his third season with the team, I really appreciate how he's developed. He's obviously has some Chemistry built up with Josh Allen. Remember, it was, is it going to be Ray Ray McLeod or is it going to be Isaiah McKenzie as that last receiver on the depth chart? Well, it keeps being McKenzie and he keeps building a bigger role within the football team. And so I'm interested to see how that expands in 2021. But obviously, he's so important for all the jet motions that he does that opens up things in the run game. It opens up passing opportunities. It adds creative layers to the offense for Brian Dable. So the motion that he does, things he does without the ball matter to the Bills offense. Obviously had 33 catches last year, had 12 rushing attempts, and he scored eight touchdowns. That's kind of fun, right? Six receiving touchdowns, a punt return for a touchdown, 84 yards against the Miami Dolphins in Week 17. And then he had the touchdown pass to Josh Allen. So uh, Isaiah McKenzie, the uh, the touchdown maker, if you will, he's back on a very minimal one-year deal. Now, here's the thing about Isaiah McKenzie that makes me always hold my breath, and that is his history of poor ball handling. First of all, let's start off with recognizing that he had no ball handling issues in 2019 or 2020, zero fumbles. They were non-issues in 19 and 20. And I sure as heck hope that this version of Isaiah McKenzie handling the ball well is going to be the normal. But this guy in college, this guy early in his career with Denver and the Bills had tons of ball handling issues. In his NFL career, he's been given 51 opportunities to field a punt, either a fair catch or a return. And he has four muffs. That's way too many. He has eight fumbles in 167 career NFL touches. And in college, he fumbled the ball 12 times. Once every 14 times he touched the ball, he fumbled it. So he's got a history of muffs. He's got a history of fumbles. And that makes me nervous. It's something that I've talked about here on the podcast. I kind of hold my breath. And when you talk about holding your breath with a player, sometimes that means that you know they're electric and they can take it the distance and they can do something exciting, which is true with Isaiah McKenzie, but I also hold my breath because I'm nervous about the ball handling and the inconsistency that comes with that. And look, I, I've already said it. The first thing I said was that 
he didn't have any issues in 2019 or 2020. So I'm not just clinging to a bad resume. I've acknowledged that he's cleaned it up over the last two years. We just need to see that continue. And here's the thing, right? Andre Roberts is gone. You guys have heard me talk about how nervous I am about him being gone, given how outstanding he was fielding punts, his decision-making as a kick returner and a punt returner, his ball handling was clean. So I get nervous about him not being in the mix, and I I get nervous when you say, well, okay, Isaiah McKenzie's back and he can handle those duties because while he does have a a lot of speed and he can create some big plays in the return game, I'm looking for consistency with decision-making and handling the football. I want to give the ball back to 17. That's what I want to do. And I don't want to force a punt and give the ball back to the other team. That's that's not what I want. So again, ball handling has been better for Isaiah McKenzie over the last two years, but he's also been not asked to return the football very often because the Bills have had Andre Roberts. So a part of the reason why McKenzie has been a better ball handler probably has something to do with him not being relied upon to be the primary kick and punt returner. So I just don't know if I personally feel comfortable with assuming that McKinsey is the guy for punt and kick return duties. I'm really excited about him being back in the offense. I like the layer that he adds. I like that he's had an expanding role. All of that's really, really good. I just don't know that I feel that much better about the Bills kick and punt returner situation with him in the mix. Now let's talk about the wide receiver room in general because I think this is fascinating. We've learned under Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean that the Bills are going to keep six wide receivers. That's it. They never keep more. They never keep less. It's six. So I think there are four spots on the roster at wide receiver that are absolutely claimed. Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, and Gabriel Davis. Those four guys are absolute locks for the roster. So we have two more spots. Let's assume that Isaiah McKenzie is wide receiver five, and I think he should be. Now you have Isaiah Hodgins. You know, draft pick from 2020 out of Oregon State gives you size, ball skills, route running, ability. I think he's a little bit redundant given what you have in Gabriel Davis, and I don't think that Hodgins projects well to helping on special teams, so that could make it difficult for him. You have Duke Williams. You have Tanner Gentry, who had a ton of success with Josh Allen at Wyoming, a true slot backup for Cole Beasley. And then Jake Kumaro, who gives you size, ball skills down the field, decent amount of athleticism, but he's a proven special teams player, which you can't say about Hodgins, Williams, or Gentry. So right now, in my mind, I'm looking at Kumaro as the sixth wide receiver that makes the team because he gives you the receiving ability plus the proven track record on special teams. So as the roster begins to take form here, one of the most interesting camp battles in my mind is wide receiver six. We've been telling you about Bilt Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Bilt Bar is the amazing low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing-tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on every single bar. And now, folks, it is time to find out which Bilt Bar is the best. They're having a tournament to decide which one is the best. All of the flavors are in it, 
and it's up to you to go to BuiltBar.com or find them on Twitter to vote. And today's matchup is a good one. We have Coconut Almond against Cookies and Cream. This is the hardest decision I've had to make yet, but I am going to go with Cookies and Cream. The Coconut Almond is delicious, but the slight edge for me is Cookies and Cream. If you agree with me or if you disagree, go make your vote. Go to BuiltBar.com, find them on Twitter to vote for your choice, and remember, use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. That is LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order over at BuiltBar.com. Let's do a little herd mentality here on the podcast. We didn't get to it last week given all the uh, the roster moves that were made with the opening week of the league year and free agency getting kicked off. So the first thing I want to ask you is for some grace. A lot of you guys took the time to send me a question over the last 10 days or so, over the last two weeks, and I wasn't able to get to all of them and I wasn't able to respond to everyone. So I am kindly asking for some grace here. As um, these questions come in fast and us not having the herd mentality episode last week kind of put me behind. And so if I didn't get back to you, I, I am truly sorry. That is never my intent, but uh, I just kind of lost track of time here. And there's a large inventory to go back and get to. And I don't know that I'm going to be able to do that. So I'm asking for grace here as we get started. But I do have 12 questions for us to get to over the next two segments. Let's do it. First one comes from Paul, who says, can you explain the differences between punt returning and kick returning as far as skill sets needed by the returner? Why do some teams employ different players at those positions? It's a good question, Paul. And identifying that there is a difference in skill set between punt returners and kick returners makes me appreciate Andre Roberts even more because it's not often that you find guys that do both. I see a lot of Bills fans pounding the table for Cordero Patterson, who is a kick returner, but not a punt returner. And there's a lot of guys that are just punt returners and not kick returners. And uh, so Paul makes a good point here in, in distinguishing that there is a difference in those roles and that a lot of teams don't have the same guy doing both. So what's important about both spots is decision-making. You have to know when to call a fair catch. You have to know when to take a knee. You have to know when to advance the football. You have to know when to let the football hit the ground on punt. So you have to be a good decision maker and understand the situation of the game and how the ball's arriving and how to respond. So number one, you have to be a good decision maker. But number two, you know, when you're a punt returner, you're basically fielding the ball from a static position, right? You're, you're standing still usually, maybe a slight run up into the ball and you then advance the football from that type of a position. As a kick returner, it's coming at you at a different angle, and uh, it allows you to have that runway before you're introduced to contact. It's just like when you think about running backs. Some running backs are good running the football out of shotgun, where it's that static alignment with the quarterback. Others, they want the quarterback to be under center so that you can have the runway to the line of scrimmage and give you yourself a chance to uh, – to see the the play differently. And those vantage points are, are different from a punt return perspective and a kick return perspective. And so, you know, different skill sets are going to be better for either opportunity. Not, not everyone's going to be able to handle both. And when you get a guy that can handle both, they have a lot of value. Also, I mean, ball skills are, are more important as a punt returner. You know, it, it's just you. There's no margin for error. The gunners are closing in on you. 
You have to be able to field that football, track it, get underneath it, and securely field it. There's a whole lot more margin for error on a kick return where, you know, if you mishandle the football, you're going to have some time to to gather yourself, find the ball before the, the coverage unit gets to you. And so I think when you apply those dynamics to the different circumstances that exist within kick return and punt return, you can see why guys that are good punt returners might not be good kick returners and vice versa. The next one comes from Samantha, very similar to a question that Padden sent in. And it reads, listening to you talk about the impact reps have on player success got me thinking. How would you rank position groups from easiest to most difficult for rookies acclimating to the NFL? It's a good question because, you know, I, I think it helps us understand the type of immediate impact that we can anticipate from players at positions at the Buffalo Bills draft. So I've taken all of the position groups and I've stacked them in order of easiest to most difficult for rookies to acclimate to the NFL. And so number one, easiest running back, number two, wide receiver, which is a big shift back in the day, like 15, 20 years ago, wide receivers took like three years to develop. But as the NFL game has become a lot more like the college game offensively, these wide receivers are having a much easier time coming in and having success. Number three is offensive line. You know, offensive linemen are often billed as safe picks you know, high floor selections. And every year I do a little project where I chart rookie starters and identify like what position groups feature the most rookie starters. And every year it's offensive line every year. So I have them number three, defensive end number four, uh, safeties number five, cornerback number six. And I think this is where there's a drop off. These, These last four positions I think are very much slow acclimating positions. They take some time to develop here. Linebacker, defensive tackle, tight end, and quarterback. That doesn't mean that if you're a linebacker, defensive tackle, tight end, or quarterback, that you can't come in and have early success as a rookie. It's just a lot harder. It's a lot more difficult of a transition than the uh, the positions I have higher on the list. Next one comes from Greg who says, for fun, can you make and then comment on an Ohio State University Buckeyes only draft class for the Bills. And for me, he has Wyatt Davis, Baron Browning, Sean Wade, Tommy Togiai, Drew Christman in the seventh. Fills a lot of holes, right? Or am I just drinking too much juice tonight? All right, so this is fun. I think you can assemble a really good draft class using only Ohio State Buckeyes. For me, this is the way I would do it. At pick 30, Baron Browning, linebacker. I think he's the third best linebacker in the class. I think he's the best Ohio State prospect this year outside of Justin Fields, who's my quarterback too. And um, I'm just going BPA at 30. At 61, Wyatt Davis, an interior offensive lineman. I think he could push to start in year one for the Bills. I really like his tape. He wasn't as good in 2020 as he was in 2019, but uh, I really like the player. Josh Myers at 93. He's a center, guy that can also play guard. I think he'd fit well with the Bills and give the Bills plenty of depth on the interior offensive line. Maybe Myers and Davis could even be the eventual starting tandem at guard and center. Then I have at 161, Tommy Togiai, defensive tackle. Good football player. Didn't have a ton of production, but um, I really like the way he plays. Uh, I think he's a, a better version of Harrison Phillips. That's how I would describe him. 174, Trey Sermon, running back. Give the Bills a downhill guy that um, 
yeah, they don't necessarily need, but since I'm limited to only Ohio State players, I thought he was the next most logical player. At 213, we'll take a flyer on Sean Wade, who was absolutely dreadful this year at cornerback. He was good in the slot in 2019. Maybe he has some upside at safety, but uh, I am really uncomfortable with the way he played this past season. And then at 236, we'll go with Luke Farrell to give the Bills some depth at tight end. But uh, Ohio State, per usual, is loaded with NFL talent, and you could absolutely assemble a good draft class by picking only players that were Buckeyes in college. Next one comes from Dave, who says, My question concerns two concepts the Bills embrace, continuity and familiarity. Since the end of McDermott's first season, when he changed offensive coordinators and several other coaches, the coaching staff has been nearly constant. The same applies to Brandon Bean's staff as well. The Bills have used their familiarity with players from other teams to their advantage, the Carolina to Buffalo pipeline being the obvious example. As the staff continuity continues, everyone is another year removed from direct experience with other teams' players. Can you see this becoming a concern over time? Obviously, they scout the entire league, but direct experience has been such a valuable tool for them. I don't think they bring in Feliciano without Bobby Johnson, for example, or Poyer without Bobby Babich. Can continuity in the coaching staff or front office be a disadvantage moving forward? I think Dave brings up a really interesting talking point. And I'm not sure that I have a very good response to this. I'm certainly not able to poke a lot of holes in what you just said. I will say that if the Bills' success continues, there's just no way this stuff stays together. The NFL is a copycat league. And where there is success, other franchises want to pluck pieces from it and try to recreate it in their building. I'm surprised greatly that the coaching staff in front office really remains intact again. But if the Bills go on another deep postseason run and the team continues to evolve, there's just no way. There's no way Dable's back. And if Dable goes, he's going to pluck some of those assistants, and that's going to create vacancies, which will allow the Bills to have other exposures like you talked about. Dan Morgan, Lake Dawson, Malik Boyd, Joe Shane. There's no way these guys stick around. So I think the problem takes care of itself. But if for some reason it doesn't, then I think you have a compelling point that does at least raise an eyebrow and make me say, huh. Next one comes from Scarecrow Boat, who says, I've seen people talking about ETN or Harris or even Javante Williams as Bill's targets, but I haven't seen anyone talk about Memphis running back Kenneth Gainwell. He looks like one of the most explosive offensive players in the draft, and I love his fit with the Bills. Why do you think he isn't getting as much attention as the other backs and how do you feel about him in the second round? Why well, like Kenneth Gainwell a good bit? He's a top five running back for me in the class. He's been a top five running back for me in the class since I watched him in May. Really interesting football player. He looks like a wide receiver, and he plays running back. He's like 5'11", 195. But this dude runs angry. He's shifty. He makes dynamic plays. He's a really, really, really good receiver. And um, there's just an explosiveness about him. I don't think he has true home run speed, but he's really, really shifty 
and he's got really, really good agility, and he's got good contact balance, especially for the way he slapped together. And I like his fit in any NFL offense because I think he could be an X factor. So in the second round, I can get behind it. The challenge with a guy like Kenneth Gainwell is that he's only been a running back for like two years and only one year of production. So I don't know that he's going to come in right away and be the focal point of your backfield, but I like the layer that he would add to any team, especially the Bills, because I love that pass-catching ability out of the backfield. So I think he'd be a wonderful addition to the running back room. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't see a lot of buzz out there for him, like you're saying, because that conversation really is centered on those top three guys, ETN, Harris, Javante Williams. But that next tier, which includes like Michael Carter and Kenneth Gainwell, I like those backs as well. And I think that's always going to be something that's appealing to me when you have the running back conversation. It's, well, you can have this guy in the first round or this guy in the second or the third round that I normally side with the later options. Chris has a hypothetical question for me, and my goodness, dude, he just wants to see me squirm, I think. And here here it is. He said, you and your lovely Panthers-loving wife are expecting your second child And that little stinker is going to show up on either Super Bowl Sunday in which the Bills are playing the Bucs or on the first day of the NFL draft where there is no Wi-Fi connection or TV in the hospital. Which do you choose to watch? Well, damn. (laughs) I'll say this. I would choose to watch the Super Bowl with the Bills in it. The NFL draft happens every year. You know that I love it. And plus the NFL draft is seven rounds. So I'd only be missing the first 32 picks out of like 255 picks that are made every single year. So I can catch up with that. I can look, I can look at a list of of players and I can see what happened in the draft. I I would miss not watching it unfold in the drama that exists with the NFL draft. I, I certainly would. But I don't know when the Bills are going to be in the Super Bowl again, and I'm not passing up that opportunity. I get a draft every year. The Bills have made the Super Bowl four times ever. So those are rare, and for a lot of teams like the Bills, they're few and far between. So give me that Super Bowl, and I'll catch up with the draft uh, the next day. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL seasons are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, and they have real-time updated props and odds on almost anything that you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the new scores and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you use our promo code Locked On. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's keep it moving. Next one comes from Kyle, who says, Hi, Joe, a couple questions for you. With Bean re-signing Feliciano, Williams, and Milano, the biggest need positions now are CB2 and Edge. I am all for trading down, but if Quiddy Pay from Michigan does start to slip and somehow makes it to the 20s, would you be trading up for him given the lack of Edge talent to follow? Also, with Bean's comments still ringing in my head about tight end, could you see them taking Pat Fryermuth at 30? I'm still all in on Knox and the leap he could take in year three. Just curious what you could foresee them doing. I can absolutely see Brandon Bean trading up. We were all surprised that he didn't do it last year, 
given his trade-up tactics in 2018 and 2019. So I do think that's well within the realm of possibilities for the Bills. And I think it's fair to say, well, how many roster spots do you really have for rookies? Right now the Bills have seven draft picks. Brandon Bean could very well say, yeah, we need to get an impact player and we're close to being a Super Bowl team and I need to go get this guy that I think could be the difference maker. So I can absolutely see Brandon Bean doing that. And Quiddy Pay would be a great player to trade up for. I did that in my most recent mock draft on the draftnetwork.com. I had the Bills moving up to pick, I think, 21 with the Indianapolis Colts to go get Quiddy Pay who I think is the best edge rusher in the class. And um, yeah, I can see Brandon Bean doing that. I'm not sure that I'm I'm advocating for it or that I agree that he should. I, I still like the, the idea of a high volume of draft picks and plenty of darts to throw at the board to get some meaningful players and add a lot of young talent to the roster on cheap deals. Like I am definitely for that, but I can see Brandon Bean doing this. As far as Pat Fryermuth at 30, that's rich for me. I think he's a second-round tight end. I, you know, we're talking about pick 30, so it's close to the second round, but I would probably wait and pass on him. I, I'd be more interested in some of the uh, the round three, round four options like Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame or even a, a Brevin Jordan from Miami, uh, Hunter Long from Boston College. I, I'd probably pass on, on Friar Muth at 30. Sean has the next one who says, hey, Joe, who's your favorite prospect that no one is talking about? or that most of your counterparts disagree is as good as you believe? Sean, it's a good question. I have several things written down here that I'll just kind of fire off. I don't pay that much attention to draft takes, so I don't I don't know how spicy these are. Uh, obviously, I'm very connected within our scouting group at the Draft Network, but I'd be lying if I said I, I was overly – mindful of, of, a, of a lot of different takes. So here's our, these are some things that I think I could be a little bit different on um, than, than others. Uh, number one, I have Jalen Waddell as wide receiver one out of Alabama. I think most people have Jamar Chase. I have Baron Browning as linebacker three behind Micah Parsons and Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. Justin Fields is my clear-cut QB two behind Trevor Lawrence. I know a lot of people like Zach Wilson. Give me Fields all day long. I think I'm a little lower on J.C. Horn, the cornerback from South Carolina. I think he's a good player. I'm just not sure he's a surefire first-round guy in my view. I think he will go in the first round. I don't think I'd be the team that picked him there. Same thing with Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State. I'm a little higher on Cameron McGrone, the linebacker from Michigan. I think that dude is is really exciting. I mean, he's got a lot of athleticism. He's powerful, and he just is a downhill tank, but he has range, and I think he can play in coverage. I'm anxious to see how he develops at the next level. I'm low on Walker Little, the the offensive tackle from Stanford. Hasn't really played football the last two years, and then for no reason he didn't go out and compete at the Senior Bowl. I, I don't like that. I'm low on Trey Smith, the guard from Tennessee. I'm lower on Dwayne Eskridge, the wide receiver from Western Michigan and Louisville, wide receiver 2-2 Atwell. I think those are very incomplete players. And so I see a lot of day two buzz on those guys. I wouldn't touch them to till day three. And then two deep sleepers, like I'm talking UDFA potential guys late day three, guys that just pop for me on tape that I, I, I'm really interested in. Running back Jared Dokes from Cincinnati 
and offensive lineman Bryce Hargrave from Pitt. Those are two guys that, you know, when I was working through the the bottom of the barrel type players, they showed a little something to me that uh, made me perk up a little bit. Peter says, I would love to hear your views on the salary cap. I keep seeing so many restrictions. Do you think this should be allowed? Surely a contract should be a contract. I appreciate what you said there. A contract should be a contract. And in so many things in life, I really agree with you. However, the NFL salary cap is set up to be manipulated, and teams should take advantage of that. So unless you want to have very basic, you sign a 10-year, $100 million deal, and it's $10 million every single year. I use that example just to keep the math easy. Let's say it's a two-year, $5 million deal, and you it equals $2.5 million every single year. Like Unless that's going to be the way it's set up, the way that it is set up, you'd be foolish to not manipulate things and, and maneuver your way around deals to create space so that you can get better as a football team. So unless they make sweeping changes to this process, you have to manipulate the cap. JD says, I feel like I need to lead with a disclaimer. I like Milano and Edmonds. They are nice players. With that out of the way, how do you feel about the potential of paying two linebackers somewhere in the neighborhood of $25 million when neither of them rush the passer with any degree of regularity and we still get killed against higher-end tight ends. I think this Milano contract puts them in a very interesting situation with Edmonds. Turns out the Bills are providing a good March distraction from the dumpster fire that has become the Sabres season. So why not ask one more? Thinking about Bean's commentary on touchdown makers, who do you see in this draft that fits the mold? All right, so the first question was about the contract that the Bills gave Milano and what's coming for Edmonds and that type of cap allocation towards linebackers. Here's what I'll say. I think linebackers are important. I am never been somebody that didn't view linebacker as a premium position, especially with how the game is played now. If you don't have linebackers that can play in space, cover, run, have range, they're smart, you're going to be in trouble on defense. So I, I am I am in on linebackers and their importance. I, I really am. I do see what you're saying. You're going to have a, a large chunk of, of your cap committed to two linebackers, and they don't help you rush the passer. Well, they help you in coverage. They help you in coverage, and, and that's really, really important. I don't think having that money precludes the Bills from finding – pass rushers up front, but it does put a little stress on the front office to find some economic options rushing the passer. Just like anywhere else on the roster. I mean, you're going to commit $40 million a year to Josh Allen. You're going to commit $16 million a year to Trey White. When you do that, it stresses your ability to spend money elsewhere. So what does it go back to? Finding cheap labor. How do you find cheap labor? You hit on draft picks. So everything goes back to the draft in my mind. So go ahead and pay Deion Dawkins and Matt Milano and Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyden or whatever player. You just got to keep hitting on draft picks and replenishing the talent that inevitably at some point you're going to have to, to lose. Now, these new TV deals that are coming through should lead to a massive cap explosion, and the Bills should be in good shape if, they, if that winds up being the, the case to uh, continue adding pricey talent to the roster because they'll have plenty of space to do so. Next one comes from Plop Warner, who says, 
This is my first herd mentality question, and I also love uniforms. I would like to hear your top five best and worst uniforms in the NFL currently. Plop Warner offers his best, which are the Raiders, Bucks, and Bills, and his worst are the Rams, Lions, and Bengals. Also want to hear your best three of all time and your worst three of all time. All right, so here are my rankings. Current NFL uniforms, my my five best. I'm not going to put these in any order. These are my five favorite NFL uniforms today. The Bills, Chargers, Texans, Steelers, and Raiders. I think those five teams have the best uniforms in the NFL right now. The worst five, the Titans are clearly number one. They're, they're terrible. They have swords on, on the shoulders. That's that's terrible. Falcons are terrible. The new Rams are terrible. Cardinals and Ravens. I just think purple and black is a terrible look for a uniform. So that's why the Ravens make the list. The best all time, give me the creamsicles, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers creamsicles, the 90 Seahawks. I really love those. Uh, the With like Cortez Kennedy, think about him in, in that uniform. I was a big fan. And then I will say the um, the powder blues from the, the Chargers. The worst all-time uniforms in NFL history are the Packers throwbacks with whatever that like brown and blue thing they have going is, is egregious. The most recent Bucks uniforms, the ones that they just came out of, think about the one that Jameis Winston wore. I mean, that's that's as bad as it gets. I mean, maybe the Bills, the, the you think about the like the Drew Bledsoe Bills uniforms, those are probably among the worst of all time. Uh, and also the Steelers, the the Bumblebee uniforms that they have, they look like they're, you know, inmates with those like stripes. Terrible. So those are my uh, the worst of all time. CB says, so about a week ago, I was team trade down. We have so many holes with little hope of retaining many of our key players. Man, how things have changed. Bring back Milano, Williams, Feliciano, Levi, Jones, while adding Sanders. I called that on your dream slash doomsday pod and addressing backup quarterback. As I look at the roster, there aren't many glaring holes, and we'll see what happens at tight end. I also called Ertz or Arnold. Now my thoughts are that we probably don't have seven rookies that can make the roster. So if an opportunity presents itself, why not trade up? Bean has shown his willingness to do so before. So if he gets his guy, hopefully an edge or a cornerback, let's do it. Your latest mock had the Bills trading up for Quiddy Pay. What are your thoughts on this? And if the Bills do trade up in the first round, who are some targets that you feel are players that can come in and help us win now? Also, what's the latest scouting report on your daughter? We've got a lot to dig into here. I do think Brandon Bean has created a scenario here where trading up makes a lot of sense. And if you feel like the player that you can trade up for is the guy that puts you over the hump, it's the difference between losing the AFC Championship game or being in the Super Bowl, go get your guy. Like, for sure, go get your guy. Maybe that's Quiddy Pay from Michigan. Maybe that's a cornerback like Greg Newsom from Northwestern. I, I can get behind that line of thinking. You guys know there's that other part of me that recognized the value in trading down and getting more darts to throw at the board, having more opportunities to find cheap labor, meaningful young players on rookie deals. So there's there's a two sides to this, and they both sound appealing to me. The good news for me, Brandon Bean has not only, number one, created flexibility for what he can do in the draft. There's not any one thing that he has to find with pick 30, 
But number two, he's earned the benefit of the doubt with his tremendous ability to piece together the roster year after year. So in a lot of ways, I'm very much trust Brandon Bean and his decision-making. But I will say, I will say that if he trades up, it has to be a difference maker. I'm normally only a supporter of trading up when it's a quarterback and you don't have one. So I'm hesitant. I saw the New Orleans Saints trade up from 27 to 14. They gave up two first-round picks and a fifth-round pick to go get Marcus Davenport, who wound up being the third-best pass rusher on that team, and he did not help them win the Super Bowl in the window that was open with Drew Brees. So I have great fear of that being replicated with the trade-up for a pass rusher. So if Brandon Bean does it, brother, this better be a sure-fire hit, a guy that helps the Bills win the Super Bowl and he, that player that you traded up for, is a big reason why. I'm much more apt to buy into the logic of not trading up and moving back or just sitting there making a pick. But if Brandon Bean has those convictions and it winds up being that one piece that puts this team over the edge, I won't complain. CB asks for that updated scouting report on my daughter, Rebecca Jean. You guys know I'll always be willing to deliver that. She's a little over 14 months old now, and man, is she so much fun. I'm really, really enjoying her. I've enjoyed every stage to this point, but now she's got some real personality and some sass about her, and she's got you know different responses to things, and she's more interactive, and she loves to play with her toys, and um, I've really enjoyed it. We're having tea parties all the time, and we're playing with all her little you know, figurines and she's got a ball pit and like, I just enjoy that. Now I feel like I can actually play with her and and we can have fun together as opposed to just kind of meeting her needs. Right. It's like, okay, you got to feed her, change her, make sure she sleeps, keep her, you know, keep her healthy. Now it's, we get to do fun stuff together and, you know, we take her to the park and push her on the swings and all that type of stuff. I've really enjoyed how, um, this next phase has come together and, and how it's led to a lot more like activities together that we can enjoy. Uh, she's not walking yet. I know she can. She just doesn't want to. She doesn't need to. She's an amazing crawler. She can stand. She stands and claps her hands and all kinds of stuff. She just isn't taking steps at this point. And she doesn't really want to try. I, I try to like hold her hand and you know get her to walk, and she 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 gets fired up whenever I make her do that. So we haven't pushed the envelope too far. There's no doubt in my mind that eventually she'll walk when she's ready to do it. Um, she's eating well and sleeping well. She still sleeps like at least 12 hours every single night. I mean, she's an absolute angel. Um, she's, she's giving her mom some problems though. I will say that she's a different little girl around her mother where she has a little bit more attitude and sass with her mom than anyone else. Uh, so that's kind of been fun and, and she's definitely a daddy's girl and we love, uh, to hang out and watch cartoons on the couch and play with toys and go to the park and take walks and all that stuff. So we're, we're having a lot of fun and I'm really enjoying this uh, next phase of her development. Last one today comes from no limits who says, hi, Joe, what do you think about the bills drafting Brevin Jordan in the third round? Brevin Jordan's a tight end from Miami. I think that's the right place to draft him. He's unbelievable with the ball in his hands, a guy that you can get the ball in space and he can create like, like ridiculous ability after the catch for a tight end. I will say that he's extremely raw. 
extremely raw football player. I think his average depth of target at Miami was like three yards from the line of scrimmage. He was very much just a kind of flat route, drag route, just kind of get into space. We'll give you the ball and ask you to create. So, so when you're talking about asking Brevin Jordan to do all the things you need an NFL tight end to do, there's going to be a curve there. And so I don't expect for him to make much of an impact early in his career. I think his trajectory and his arc is going to be just like John U. Smith, really similar, kind of a backup early on, does some exciting athletic things, modest production year one, year two, and then eventually he kind of claims more and more of a role and you see his traits start to take over. But I think it's probably, if you take him this year, I wouldn't expect a whole lot until like 2023, but he's got a, a ton of really exciting physical traits. I just feel like uh, he would be very much a project. So if you are willing to wait, sure, go get yourself a Brevin Jordan, but I, I think he's going to take some time uh, to really make an impact in the NFL. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today here on the podcast. I am excited about what we have coming up the rest of the week. We're going to talk a little Mitchell Trubisky. We're going to talk running backs. We got some fun topics lined up. Of course, if there's any big breaking news, we'll pivot and cover that. But um, other otherwise, we have some some really good discussions coming up, and I have some fun guests lined up to help us cover some uh, some buzzy topics in the. Buffalo Bills community and the discussion that surrounds it. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.